T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Thursday, February 22nd, 2018. Super producer JQ is here sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is doing some fantastic work this weekend, or this week, rather, and it's taking him away from his hosting duties. So we wish him the best of luck with his projects, but for right now, you get me. Ain't you just so lucky? Today, it's Thursday, as I said, which means we'll be talking with Joe Chanelli. From, from AMBETS, American Veterans, and see what they have going on, in addition to talk about the drama going on in the VA. And later on, we'll be talking with Glenn Banton. Now, Glenn is the head of a of an organization called Operation Supply Drop, and they are helping deployed soldiers and veterans with some rather unique ways. So it's going to be very cool. Make sure you stick around. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us, and you'll get all the latest goings-on in the veteran community. Well, let's take a uh, look at what's going on in the world of veterans these days. The, this is coming from the Washington Post. The White House intends to meet with leading veterans groups amid drama at the VA. You can probably ask Joe about this later. White House Chief of Staff John F. Kelly intends to meet with the nation's leading veteran advocates this uh, next week amid ongoing anxiety that there is some desire by President Trump's political appointees to oust Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin, according to people familiar with the matter. The impending White House meeting follows a private gathering Tuesday of the top officials from 12 veteran service organizations, including the American Legion, the VFW, and the Disabled Veterans of America. These groups represent millions of former service members and their families, forming one of Trump's core constituencies. One person familiar with the gathering said at one point, cell phones started ringing and the director of AMVETS, the Legion, VFW, and DAV politely excused themselves almost simultaneously to take the calls. Each of these calls came from the White House meeting schedulers to establish an appointment for four VSOs to meet together. Kelly, a retired Marine Corps general, has told Shulkin to stop the drama and infighting in the VA. The White House did not respond to messages seeking details about his objectives for next week's meeting. Kelly's offer to host a meeting comes as the troubled agency has weathered weeks of negative publicity. Now, if you haven't been following this, it all stems to what people are calling improper use of funding because when Secretary Shulkin uh, and his wife flew to Europe and got Wimbledon tickets comped. People are claiming that that was improper use of funds, and really it is if it happened. But uh, Shulkin's fired back saying his email was hacked and one of his, his chief of staff retired because there were accusations that she doctored um, uh, documents to make it look like it was all legit when it wasn't, and it's this big 
brouhaha. I, you know, we can ask Joe more about it later. Shulkin, the only Obama-era holdover in Trump's cabinet, was accused, along with senior staff members, of misleading the agency's ethics office about taxpayer-funded trip to Europe last year. He maintains he did nothing improper by having his wife join him and accepting complimentary tickets to a professional tennis match in London. That was exactly what I just said. I probably shouldn't have read that paragraph. <laughs> anyway, the staffer, Secretary Shulkin's former chief of staff, was replaced last week after announcing her retirement. White House officials have told Shulkin that his job is safe despite the allegations, which were outlined in a report recently recently released by the VA's Inspector General. Veteran service organizations met Tuesday with hopes of forming a united front and to brainstorm strategies for pushing back against Trump appointees who seem, in their view, overly focused on outsourcing veteran health care. A principal concern is what they've characterized as the outside influence of a conservative group, Concerned Veterans of America, that advocates expanding options beyond the VA. CVA, the Concerned Veterans of America, is backed by Charles and David Koch, billionaires with deep interest in rolling back government bureaucracy. The group has been one of the VA's most vocal critics since the agency's 2014 wait time scandal was exposed. Its profile has grown during the Trump administration, which one, with one of its former senior advisors, Darren Selnick, now serving as a veteran affairs advisor inside the White House. Well, that's telling. Mm-hmm-hmm. Dean Caldwell, CVA's director of policy, has said it has not proposed the wholesale transfer of VA services to the private sector. He says what we support is giving veterans the choice to access care in the community if they feel the VA isn't the best option for them. Veteran service organizations say they support Shulkin because they see him as a stopgap, someone who can prevent some spending more care outside the VA hospital. Now, we talked with the American Legion about this yesterday, and the American Legion has come out very strongly in support of Secretary Shulkin because they are extremely opposed to privatization. Now, you remember privatization became an issue once the Choice Act came in into play. And the Choice Act basically said that if you live if you live X amount of miles or X amount of hours from a VA facility, you can use a private doctor funded by the VA. And that was what was put forward, and people are they applauded that initiative, but people are also worried that this is going to lead to privatization of the VA, like complete, basically, you can go to any doctor and the VA would pay for it, which, as the Legion said yesterday, estimates it would double the VA's budget and there would be no control over who gets to care for veterans. Like... You could have some quack up in, you know, Wisconsin somewhere, not denigrating Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a fine state. I love your cheese and hate your football team. I'm just kidding. I don't care about football at all. So all you uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, Green Bay Packer fans, please don't charge me with torches and pitchforks. I apologize profusely. Anyway, but basically it's stopping people who are – it. uh, what am I trying to say here? Let me find my words. The VA is a good organization as far as the care goes. When you talk, when you look at patients who have been treated by the VA, a good portion of them, I think around 80%, are happy with the health care they receive. The problem is getting to that health care and getting over the bureaucratic hoops and the red tape and all that good stuff. No, it's not really good stuff, but you know what I mean. 
So privatizing the VA would mean that on the one hand, yeah, you could go to your private doctor and get it paid for by the VA, which sounds like a great thing. But you got to realize there's no quality control anymore. There's no more people saying the people at the VA have a saying of or have a say in who gets to treat veterans and they look for the best person for the job ostensibly, you know, well, we're not going to touch on that. So privatizing the VA means there's no more quality control and anyone can treat veterans and that may lead to improper care or people who don't specialize enough. Like there was a, I can't remember, I think it was a news story about the, with the American Legion where uh, one patient said that when she went to a civilian doctor with all her conditions that she incurred during her service, civilian doctors won't even look at her because they had no idea where to start. They didn't specialize in veterans' cares and the specific conditions that veterans typically face. But the VA is, is prepared for that. So privatizing, to me, is not the best option. Some of it, yeah, but, I mean, like, there has to be, in all things, like in all things, there has to be a middle ground where people can go see private doctors if they so choose, but we still have to have the VA care for people for the general people in the veteran community. That's just my humble opinion. I could be wrong. There's a lot going on in the veteran community. Let's check out what's going on on ConnectingVets.com. Veterans join the gun debate with hashtag Vets for Gun Reform. This is by our own Matt Saintsing. He says, still reeling after the still reeling from the aftermath of the shooting at a South Florida high school that left 17 dead. There's been a reactions there's been reactions from all over the political spectrum. Many have offered quote unquote thoughts and prayers while others calling for lawmakers to quote do something although specifics are unclear. And some are using their status and experience in the military to call for stricter gun laws. The hashtag vets for gun reform has emerged on Twitter with scores of veterans adding their two cents in a national conversation surrounding the prospect of more gun control. Some have taken an authoritative stance, citing their combat experience and calling for changes in gun laws. Well, this is a tweet from someone that calls himself angry staff officer. I've been a victim of gun violence here in the U.S. I've carried arms for this nation in Afghanistan. I am a gun owner, and it's past time to institute common sense gun reform. Here's one from uh, Dennis Mang... Hang on, give me a, give me a second. Dennis Magnosco. Magnosco. He says, I'm pro-Second Amendment. Hell, I'm pro-gun ownership. But I've also seen firsthand what a rifle round does to a body while serving as a medic in Afghanistan. It makes me sick to know American students have seen it in their schools. Don't tell me this is the best we can do. Hashtag vets for gun reforms. Others want to shape the discussion surrounding their very tools of war they've handled before lesser qualified but louder voices elbow their way into discourse. A man named Todd Branch uh, tweets, Hey, vets, if we stay quiet on this issue, a bunch of YouTube gun experts and weekend operators are going to be the loudest and most confident voices. We can argue about gun control, but let's be clear on the lethality of the weapons. And some are challenging the notion that civilians need these type of weapons. Dan Kim says, As a soldier, I wield a rifle that could hit targets out to 500 meters. Its sole purpose was and is to take as many human lives as effic- efficiently as possible. As a civilian now, I know I see no need for any of my fellow citizens to have unfettered access to similar weaponry. One even went so far as to pen an op-ed specifically outlining 
outlining specific steps lawmakers could take to reduce gun violence. I am, uh, Pierre Atlas says, I am qualified with an M16A1 over 30 years ago in the Cold War era Army. I don't need an AR-15 for home defense. Here's my suggestions for congressional state action they could that could help reduce gun violence from an Indy Star column. Let's take a look at that column. Let's see what it says. Hang on. Let it load. Okay, he says, with this column, I begin my 16th... Uh, whoa, hey, pop-ups, go away. Dagum pop-ups always stop stopping me from reading the articles. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. Sorry. <laughs> okay, he says, with this column, I begin my 16th year of writing for the Indy Star. That's, uh, I ostensibly... Uh, from Indiana or Indianapolis, whichever the case may be. Over those years, I've written several columns about guns and gun violence, often in the aftermath of tragic mass shootings. In October, the Las Vegas shooting, I shared my thoughts on rights and limitations of the Second Amendment. The latest horrific mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, which killed 17 innocent children and teachers, has led to the usual responses by all sides in the polarized debate over gun rights and gun control. Some people want to bar AR-15 platform rifles, but even if this could pass constitutional muster, given that the AR-15 is possibly the most, power, most popular rifle in America and there are millions of them in circulation, doing so would be politically and logistically difficult, if not impossible. On the other side, we hear the standard refrain, now is not the time to talk about guns, or this is not about guns, this is about mental health. And I talked yesterday about how I get tired of hearing, now is not the time to talk about gun violence. Well, good sir or madam, when would be the good time? Just asking. Clearly, this shooter, who I will not name, has serious problems and telegraphed his violent intent on social media. But he didn't commit this crime with a butter knife. The United States does not have a greater mental health problem than other advanced democracies. We have a unique gun culture with unique gun rights, and we also have the highest rates of gun violence in the, in the developed world. Over 30,000 people will die this year from firearms, about two-thirds of them from suicides. The serious, these are serious problems, and it is always the right time to talk about them. Imagine if the killer had been a Muslim and shouted Allahu Akbar or was an undocumented immigrant. Would those same politicians say this is not the time to talk about terrorism or, vile, or violent illegal aliens? No particular law will likely stop a sociopath bent on causing destruction, either with a gun or a bomb. But given the level and variety of gun violence in our nation, there are reasonable steps we can take to reduce the overall numbers of gun deaths and non-fatal shootings. In addition to enforcing all the laws already on the books, here are 10 practical, pragmatic things Congress or state legislators can and should do now, which I believe most Americans, including gun owners, would support. Universal background checks. Mandatory reporting of stolen guns. Prohibit gun purchases, gun purchases for people on the no-fly list. Allow the Center for Disease Control to collect and analyze gun violence data. Ban the manufacture, sale, and possession of bump stocks, which allows semi-automatic weapons to mimic full automatics. I'm sorry. Let me take a drink of water real quick. I'm mushing my words up. Mush, 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 mush. That's something my uh, Dimfos instructor used to say. You're mushing your words. Mush, 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 mush. Anyway, I have no idea why I said that. I apologize. Let's move on with the <laughs> article. 
uh, requiring safety training for all carry permits. Mandate that the purchase of a firearm, rifle, as well as handgun must be 21. With court orders and due process, remove guns from homes in case of domestic violence or openly stated threats to others. In addition to these eight items, Congress should hold hearings with expert testimony to explore legislation addressing the following controversial issues. Reporting of potentially violent mental health cases and the building of a, of a database and regulating social media content for threats and violences. Now, I got to stop this guy right there. I am not for regulating social media. That's freedom of speech. And I don't want Big Brother seeing my every text or seeing my every Facebook post. I'm not saying I post you know violent or dangerous stuff. I'm just saying it's a very slippery slope from we're monitoring everything. That's very 1984, you know. That's like CCTVs in your in your room and stuff. And plus, who's to say what's violent? I mean, yes, saying I'm going to shoot this person that's violent. But what about saying uh, who's to say that advocating for gun rights isn't inciting gun violence? And they start censoring those comments. It's okay. I realize that's a slippery slope fallacy, but at the same time, you got to realize that once you give the government a right or an ability, it's almost impossible to roll it back. Like you look at Obamacare, it's almost impossible to completely dismantle Obamacare because it's there now. So, the same thing with these rights, with these gun laws and censorship rights, that if once you give them the ability to monitor, it's going to be very hard to take that away, but very easy to step it forward. So that's just my humble opinion. And let's go back to the article. As a parent, educator, and gun owner, I think it's about time that we as a nation tackle this issue. No interest group, and I say this as a lifelong member of the NRA, should have a veto on what is best in, on what is in the best interest of this country. All options should be on the table, knowing that in the end... Only those that pass constitutional musher, muster and reach a national consensus should become the law. And this guy is a professor of political science and, and a director, and he is for global studies at Marion University. That's very interesting take, Mr. Atlas. Atlas Rise, Metallica. Anyway. Uh, let's get back to the VA. Uh, the Veteran Affairs Secretary responds to criticism for travel expenses. Uh, this is coming from NPR. Veteran Affairs Secretary David Shulkin is being criticized for changing his wife's travel, charging his wife's travel to the government when she accompanied him to Europe. Shulkin says he complied with all ethics guidelines, but his chief of staff, also criticized for her role in arranging the trip, has announced her retirement. Well, that was a short story. <laughs> okay, so but with this whole thing, like I said, it's about it's not about Secretary Shulkin. Well, it is, but it isn't. What what this what you're seeing here is people like CVA and the Koch brothers. I said it wrong. It's the Koch brothers, not the other word brothers. I apologize. Just pretend I said beep. Anyway, it's about. These advocacy groups using this travel scandal as little chinks in the armor that they can dig their knives into and try to get him out of position so they can further move towards privatization of the VA. Now, a lot of veteran service organizations have come out in favor of Secretary Shulkin, and I agree that that is, 
I agree that's the most important thing is that the, he stays because you need continuity of leadership. Have you ever been, for my for the veterans out there, have you ever been in a unit where the first sergeant or the captain or the commander kept changing over and over again? Like, let me give you an example. There is a, a guy, I'm not going to use his name for privacy issues, but when I was stationed at Fort Hood, this guy had been in uh, for four years and in that time never once passed a PT test. Failed every single one of them. The problem is, every time the time for chapter would come along, we get a new first sergeant or a new commander that wanted to give him a new shot, give him another shot. And so, because of that, this guy was able to stay in for five years total and never pass a PT test. That kind of inconsistent leadership can pose serious problems to organizations. And the same thing goes for the VA. This guy has been in the uh, David Shulkin has been in the VA system for years now. And now that he was, by the way, unanimously uh, agreed upon that he should lead the VA, they need to let him do his job. But instead, they keep bogging him down with all this drama and political infighting. They're using the VA as a political football. To further their agenda, whatever that might be. Now, whether people want to say it's people in the Trump administration, maybe it's people in Congress or whatever, but they're using the VA to show, hey, look at this. We care about veterans. We want to do this to the VA. But is it really in the best interest of veterans? Is that really what you want? Or are you just wanting the veteran vote? The VA, as it stands, has very good care. Not excellent, not perfect, but very good care for veterans. The issue and what we're working for on is getting around the red tape and jumping through the hoops and doing all that stuff to get to the care. But once you get there, it's fine. I've been using VA healthcare for, uh, let's see, a year and a half now, and I've never had a problem. I've never had a problem with extensive wait times. I've been perfectly satisfied with my care. I have never really had that big an issue. Now, of course, I can't say I represent all of everyone's VA experiences, but from my point of view, and this is all I can do as an individual person is share with you my views, the care of the VA has been great. I don't have a problem with it, and I don't have a problem with Secretary Shulkin. Use this as a slap on the wrist, as a te what we call in the military a teachable moment, and look at it and say, okay, you messed up, don't do it again, now get back to work and do your job. That's just my humble opinion on you. I want to touch on this very briefly. As you know, the other day, uh, President Trump met with uh, survivors of the Florida school shooting, and they vented at him for a good long while, and he was there. I didn't watch the press conference because I, don't, I try to avoid politics in my daily life. Well, let's see. Seated between teenage survivors of the Florida school shooting, President Donald Trump said during an Oval Office listening session Wednesday that arming teachers and posting gun-toting veterans in schools could, disturb, could deter or stop school shooters. His comments came during an emotional meeting that included Vice President Mike Pence, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, and school shooting survivors and family who had lost children to gun violence, including the father who buried his daughter just last week. They poured out grief and anger over the lack of efforts to stem school shootings. Trump talked about strengthening background checks and increasing mental health resources, but his most pointed and specific remarks said when he spoke about adding security to schools by arming teachers and posting gun-equipped veterans. 
Trump poi Trump posited that if Aaron Feist, a school, a popular football coach, had been armed, he could have stopped the gunman who killed Feist and 16 others during the Marjorie Stoneman High School Douglas shooting. If the coach had had a firearm in his locker when he ran at this guy, the coach was very brave, stayed a lot of lies, I suspect. But if he had a firearm, he would have not had to run. He could have shot, and that would have been the end of it. He proposed to arm 20% of school teachers and to hire veterans as armed, uh, armed school guards. A teacher would have a concealed gun on them. They'd go for special training, and they would be there, and you would no longer be a gun-free zone, he, Trump said. He suggested that arming a teacher on campus could reach the school shooters faster than responding police officers. You'd have a lot of people that would be armed that would be ready. Now, I spoke yesterday on my feeling on that. I'm not so sure. I'm, it's a double-edged sword for me because on the one hand, if someone asked me, hey, would you be at a school protecting, protecting children? Of course I would. I would do that instantly. But I don't think this is the best way to go about it is to have more armed guards, especially veterans, who might not have to go through the same background checks and everything as um, police officers do. But that's me. And that's a whole other issue. We'll talk about it some other time. Right now, I want to remind you, you're listening to the Morning Briefing for Tuesday, or rather Thursday, February 22nd, 2018. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to have Joe Chanelli from AmBets talk about the latest and greatest going on with him. And later on, Glenn Banton from Operation Supply Drop. Lots of cool stuff. Please stick around, and we will return after these messages. See you then. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. All right, joining me on the program right now is a man and head of an organization that is doing really interesting stuff for deployed troops and for veterans. I'm joined by Glenn Banton of Operation Supply Drop, also known as OSD. Glenn, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, it's great to have you on. Now, uh, let's start off with a little, a little bit. Uh, you're a veteran yourself, correct? I'm, I'm actually not interesting enough. I'm a, I'm a civilian. I've been uh, mentoring veterans for a number of years, actually starting back in the late 90s. Um, I've been in a lot of professional roles and, you know, saw that, you know, men and women are obviously sacrificing large chunks of their lives to go and defend our freedom while I'm developing a network and having professional success and figured, you know, what better way to extend a hand than to extend my network out to those individuals. And, you know, long story short, that ends up leading me into a role uh, leading this fantastic organization today. All right. Now, tell us a little bit about the organization. How exactly did it get started? Because, well, first off, tell us exactly what it is Operation Supply Drop OSD does. What exactly do you do for the deployed soldiers? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, we do a, a number of different things, but on the uh, deployment side or the active duty side, uh, that predominantly falls under our supply drop program, uh, which was started by sending video game care packages uh, downrange. So, you know, imagine getting an Xbox, a PlayStation, uh, video games. Now uh, we have, you know, fantastic partners like Starbucks that provide coffee, um, as well as, you know, organizations like Steve Jackson Games that provide, you know, board and card games. Um, really just looking to inject a, a morale boost, you know, looking at the uh, the positives of unit cohesion, getting the guys and gals together to do something fun amidst a lot of the uh, the downtime that exists. 
Okay, so uh, where did the idea come from? For I mean, because I used to get care packages all the time when I was employed, but it was usually you know trail mix and baby wipes. I didn't exactly get an <laughs> Xbox 360, you know. So where did this yeah. idea come from? Yeah, so um, our organization is, uh, is actually founded by another gentleman that um, you know predated me and. Uh, he was active duty, you know, while he was deployed, he was, you know, definitely identifies with this current generation as, as, as being a gamer um, and really wanting uh, a taste of home. You know, it wasn't something that he got while he was deployed. Um, once he got out and uh, was, you know, over with, he was you know, a writer in the gaming industry and thought it would be uh, interesting to send these type of care packages overseas. And I'd, I'd almost describe it as Yes, they're video game care packages, but just as much they're just you know they're not socks, baby wipes, and Girl Scout cookies uh, when you really look at it. Um, and they're aimed at helping you know w- whether it's a squad or all the way up to in some cases you know we're outfitting entire MWRs or, or USO centers. Um, it's really looking at that you know sustained support, not something where you know I don't know how quickly you could probably eat uh, a box of Thin Mints, uh, but that, that <laughs> goes away really quickly. Uh, Whereas uh, you know faster Xbox than or PlayStation can last for an entire deployment. Yeah, that go through that box a little faster than I'm comfortable admitting. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, tell me who all like how many people are involved in this project like how many people sit on the board of directors how many volunteers do you have like how big is your organization yeah that's a good that's a really good question so um we, we kind of have a, a tiered support and you, you know i beg your pardon i borrow a lot of the terminology you know from the military and a lot of it's because outside of this i've done a lot of work in uh you know dod contracting stuff but really we look at things from kind of a force multiplier perspective it's how do we have you know, leadership and, and mentorship to have, you know, uh, very strong leadership at the board of directors, board of advisors, and to really push a lot of that knowledge and that horsepower, you know, downhill to uh, the members and volunteers at large. Uh, from a full-time staff perspective, um, we only have a handful, uh, depending upon how you measure that, um, probably three to five people. Um, board of directors is five our advisory board is a lot larger. Uh, it pushes 20 people, uh, mainly because we have them slotted into uh, regional and program-focused leadership positions. And then the the community at large measures greater than about 50,000 uh, military community members. Um, and, you know, all that rolls up into an organization that since 2010 has uh, impacted over 600,000 you know, veterans, active military, and uh, military family members. That's really impressive. Now, you mentioned your partnership with, like, Starbucks and also partnerships with uh, Xbox and PlayStation and all these other things. How did you get all these, you know, for lack of a better word, contracts? Like, how do you get these groups to support you so much? Yeah. Um, So... it's mentality. Um, I'm, I'm a business guy at heart. And this isn't my first nonprofit to help grow another uh, very large one. Um, I believe, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, you're in the business of your mission. Uh, I know that sometimes rubs people a little bit the wrong way, but it, you know, I say bear with me for a moment. And really what we're looking at is not just being, you know, bleeding heart passionate about supporting veterans, you know, you got to do this, you need to, you know, you need to raise awareness, but really looking at, you know, aligning with organizational goals on the partnership side. So Starbucks, for instance, is a really great example uh, in a multitude of different ways. 
because they have a very strong um, veteran focus, uh, mill spouse focus. And so we align with that very, very well on the community level. And then on the larger picture, they just want to support, you know, active military and, you know, make sure and get coffee in their hands. And it just turns out that really at our core, when you strip away the actual items, we're a very strong operations and logistic minded organization. And so they call on us to be able to distribute coffee, uh, essentially, especially anywhere, uh, anywhere where there's sand right now, for sure. Um, and we can do so more efficiently and more effectively. But when you roll that all up, we're not just saying, hey, give us coffee or give, you know, write us a check because you need to support troops. We're making sure that we're delivering on the backside. So Starbucks really wants to be able to tell those stories to their individual uh, community stores. So imagine there's a, a Starbucks that's near um, you know, say Fort Drum, and, you know, you have the, the soldiers deployed from there being able to say, hey, we supported these units out of Fort Drum that are over in Afghanistan right now um, and deliver that back to the community store really kind of ties it all together. So it's understanding what a Starbucks or a Steve Jackson or Northrop Grumman or USAA is really looking to achieve with their military and veteran focused initiatives and ensure we track everything properly on our side and realize that, yes, at the end of the day, yes, there's, you know, kindness and goodness in their hearts, but there's also a marketing and messaging initiative that we all need to hit as well. Right. It makes sense. Businesses don't do anything for free. They need to make sure they get taken yep. care of on the back end too, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm looking at your website and I'm seeing all these different programs and we're going to kind of go down, down the list here because they all sound unique and very well, for lack of a better term, awesome. So let's start off with the Heroic Forces program. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so Heroic Forces, uh, in a nutshell, it's small group focused professional development for uh, veterans and military community members. Um, it's the answer to, I should say, it's, it's the yin to the yang of, uh, I, I'm sure you've been in some of those uh, transition seminars where you have 50, 100, sometimes even 500, you know, fellow veterans or soon to transition uh, troops, and you get spoken at um, as opposed to with, and you end up walking out of there probably more ticked off than more confused than you walked in. And really what we realized is um, part of the community's responsibility is we need to go and develop relationships and really understand individual veterans' needs. Um, so if I have, you know, a small group of, say, five um, one could be a 22-year-old aspiring, you know, tech business owner, and another could be an officer that's, you know, already has an MBA, and another could be a guy that, um, you know, thinks he needs to go to law school, uh, but in reality probably wants to be a, a landscaper. And um, what we realize is, again, the goal is to uh, directly and proverbially come to where the veteran actually is, understand their individual needs, uh, give them a set of skills to kind of move forward, uh, really focused on networking and, you know, developing additional skills and then utilize our very, very large uh, national network to put veterans in front of other mentors so they can then get jobs that not just check the box, but is something they can be excited about and continue to grow in over the years. Right. And then that's a serious problem, at least with the Army. I know the their uh, Army Career and Alumni Program, ACAP, you get talking, it, it's a very basic, it's very catch-all for everyone. Just, you know, the most generalized advice you can give about finding a job and how to carry yourself and how to adjust to, to civilian life. But when you ask specific questions, they can't always answer 
give you some satisfactory answers because they don't know about whatever it is you're trying to mm-hmm. get into. Like, for example, when I came out, I'm trying to get a job in broadcasting. They had no idea how to help me. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and a network sits there and goes, I mean, just off the top of my head, if, you know, if you and I hadn't even, you know, met and are having this conversation right now, I'd immediately think of guys like, you know, Mike Dowling and, you know, a lot of the team behind We Are the Mighty. Not that necessarily they're directly involved in broadcasting, but a lot of their staff happens to be. So what do you do? You connect the dots, you have some conversations, and, you know, help point people in the right direction. And you're really hitting it on the head. I mean, that broad stroke, all that does is, yes, it puts the veterans in jobs right now. You know, the, the veteran unemployment rate is at its historic low, but you and I know that that's BS because the veteran underemployment rate is somewhere between 40 and 80 percent based upon, you know, how you measure it. And the only way to bring that number down is to really look at the longer term of how do we mentor individuals into positions that they're going to be successful and happy with over time? Because obviously that trickles down into the family life and and really, and I, you know, I'd, I'd even take the leap when you look at, you know, veteran suicide and those numbers. If we can have more veterans that are satisfied or better with their employment, that will trickle down and naturally lower the, uh, you know, this veteran suicide rate because you have something to, to live for. You have, you have a group of people that then hold you accountable. Yeah, you're right. You are very right, and I agree with you with all that points. Okay, so moving on to the next program, we have, what is this, uh, supply drops, making fun where there is none. What can you tell me about that? <laughs> Yeah, so that's the one that we started out with in the conversation. That's the you know video game care packages downrange. Uh, that has expanded over time to also outfit, like I said, MWRs, USOs. Uh, most of it does uh, go downrange or overseas, um, but we're seeing more and more where we're working with you know single soldier, single marine programs, um, helping out with you know USOs here stateside that are doing family nights or working with FRGs. You know where a unit's deployed. At the end of the day. It's focused on morale, video games, board games, card games, comic books, coffee, um, anything but socks and baby wipes. <laughs> right. Now, uh, how do you uh, find units to, to send this stuff to? Like, I know you said you outfit NWRs and stuff, but for the individual units, do people, like, nominate them or do you contact them? How does that happen? Uh, we thankfully have really good brand recognition, especially overseas. Um, I mean, that's something, again, when, you, you know, we talked about our partners in marketing, Um, we know that we need to market, you know, whether it's creating stickers or patches or swag, um, you know, putting our names and how to contact us all over everything we send out. Um, So at this point, I would generally say over 90% of the uh, fulfillment we do is directly coming from a unit. So typically it's, you know, an E3, E4 or higher uh, for the most part. And uh, we ask them to fill out a request form. It includes, you know, a little bit of you know, why, why do you deserve a supply drop? Um, and we do look at those. They submit some pictures. And right now we're actually turning those around in less than 30 days. And wow. um, it might come as a shock to you, but you can get you, USPS mail is getting from North Carolina to, you know, Afghanistan in some cases less than eight days. Um, it, this is an interesting world to live in. Uh, but beyond that, we have really good relationships with uh, a lot of units directly. Um, a lot of us in leadership have units that we've kind of you know been adopted by or we've adopted um, really close with Third uh, Cav out of Fort Hood. We have a lot of guys that are you know uh, served out of Fort Bragg or deployed out of Fort Bragg multiple times. So we go on post there. Um, and really, what we look at is 
how do we, again, you'll hear me come back to it. It's the, it's the long term. It's the sustainability. Our goal is to develop a relationship with the unit so that regardless of who's you know, in their leadership or, or what men and women are serving in it, we can serve them over time and continue to address whatever their morale needs are, um, you know, today, tomorrow and, you know, years from now. Yeah, that's uh, it's very good to know that it's not just someone, some schmuck private says, hey, give me video games. Oh, OK, sure. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we we get plenty of those. And uh, I, I will say uh, a lot of those get ignored or they get a good chuckle where you, you'll get the you'll get the guy that is trying as hard as he can to make it seem like he's requesting it for, you know, his squad. And again, we, we've seen, and we've fulfilled literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these, you know, as I said, the hundreds of thousands of troops. And so um, we know the formula, you can see the ones that get it um, and and really are doing it, you know, for their men and you believe it and you want to do more because um, we've even got requests from, you know, folks that don't even, they don't even like video games and they'll say it. I mean, it's almost like they don't want to inadvertently be called a nerd or something. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I hate video games, but, but my men need it. You know, they're, they're younger and I'm sitting here going, wait, I'm pretty sure you're like 28 and all your men are 24. Um, again, I know the, the scale of things is slightly different in the military, but, uh, if you're under, you know, if you're under 50 today, you probably play video games, whether you admit it or not. Yeah, right. Okay, so moving on, we have uh, Games to Grunts, and this is the one you partnered with GovX, someone we've talked to. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so interestingly enough, and you'll be the first to hear it publicly, we are just about to relaunch that in partnership with ID.me. So there's a fun little uh, mild exclusive for you. So Games to Grunts was the uh, digital answer to supply to the supply drop program. So as the gaming industry has become more and more digital with their distribution through platforms like Steam, you know, Xbox Live, um, we get a lot of donations through those platforms. They're actually easier to obviously handle, but we were not pleased uh, historically with how we were distributing them. So typically we'd get, you know, an Excel spreadsheet with 5,000 codes for, you know, fill in the blank game. And then we'd parse those out through email and, you know, maybe 15 to 20% of them would get redeemed, which made our partners happy, but we knew we could do better. And so uh, we initially partnered with GovX. We were thankful to use their platform initially. Um, it still had some, uh, some shortcomings that we needed to be able to address as far as accessibility and our being able to maintain it. Uh, ID.me came to the table and said, hey, uh, we fully support this. Uh, it's very well aligned with our organization. And I would say probably inside the next two weeks from today, uh, you'll see that program re-soft launch um, online through an ID.me-based uh, platform uh, that's actually, quote-unquote, powered by Ripit. Uh, there are, are uh, generous underwriters to make that possible. But essentially, if you qualify for an ID.me troop ID, so again, active military veterans, uh, and family members, you will be able to go onto this platform and uh, get free, you know, free codes for games and, and certainly enjoy those. Again, just tr- delivering on that uh, morale focus, um, but through digital means. Man, I, I'm sorry. I, that's great information, and it's a really cool program. But the thing I dialed in on was the Rip It. And I'm thinking, about, of course, Rip It's <laughs> backing this. Nothing's kept mo- soldiers more awake than Rip It. Like, you keep exactly. more soldiers awake than gunfire in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. But that's just me, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next we have a very cool program, uh, Respawn. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, so respawn, again, you'll start to see kind of spiderweb here. Respawn is the medical uh, flavor of supply drop. So it's typically focused around your, you know, WTB, WTUs, uh, and military hospitals. Uh, that program's led by our chief medical officer, uh, Eric Johnson. Uh, I should say, may have retired Major Eric Johnson. He um, was actually the chief at the uh, Brook Army Medical Burn Center. Previous to that, he was at Walter Reed, a uh, big nerd, Star Wars, you know, gaming tattoos all over him. Um, and he's, as I understand it, he was actually the first to really bring uh, OTs, occupational therapy, and gaming and technology um, in a center downrange. So while he was deployed in Afghanistan, he actually set up, you know, an occupational therapy center. And, it, you know, to anybody that says, well, how do you use games for occupational therapy or therapy? Um, you know, just think about it. Think of it as the abstract. You know, when you look at things like, you go back to the cliche side of, say, bowling with Nintendo Wii, and, you know, you're a, um, a double amputee on both of your legs and you're needing to work on balance. You know, you're sitting in there in the, the, uh, the hospital working on balance on the BOSU ball. Um, but being able to bowl and, you know, work on that at the same time, that hand-eye coordination, looking at, you know, range of motion and how that's measured, uh, looking at the, you know, the psychosocial implications of, you know, say, four guys that are, again, um, you know, various amputations or burns and are working, you know, through TBIs playing rock band together. Um, that's huge because it has the medical implications of being able to measure a lot of the metrics for progress. But on top of it, it doesn't suck. Um, and so some people, you know, look at it and say, well, you know, it, gaming, it's not real. Well, it's also relatively inexpensive. It doesn't replace a lot of, again, your traditional medicine. But you know, look at it the same way. There was a, a time where uh, down in the burn center, uh, I think it was a time where a bunch of senators' wives were coming through, and you know, Eric was working with some of the uh, you know, some of the patients, and they were actually playing you know root beer pong, and all of the in the actual you know therapy center, and the the wives all walk in. What's going on here? And he's like, well. I mean, think about it again in playing root beer pong, uh, you know, they're, they're again, range of motion at the elbow. They're working on hand eye coordination, but again, they're having fun. They're competing in something. And so again, it doesn't suck. Um, and that's really what gets delivered there. Uh, that program is expanded to include um, virtual reality. So we're working actually uh, directly with uh, JBLM and their uh, adaptive sports program, you know, bringing in uh, virtual reality, working directly with their occupational therapists. And again, just looking at alternative, you know, means to make these recoveries not suck. Because if, you know, you're missing, you know, an arm or a leg, or again, you've been in this recovery mode for years, uh, anything you can do to make it again more quote unquote normal, um, I'd say is a good thing. All right, and it says on the website, I'm noticing that uh, you mentioned veteran suicide. Do you think that this kind of program it can be helpful in stopping veteran suicide? I think it can from the psychosocial side of it. Um, I mean, I'm not one to say, and again, this is one of those where it's full of opinions. I don't necessarily think you know playing video games just straight up you know helps with veteran suicide. I think playing games with other people. Um, and especially in these situations where you have somebody that's in recovery mode for years, you know, being able to sit down and even play Madden. So let's, you know, let's face it, maybe sitting and play Madden on its own has no, you know, physical um, medical benefit, but sitting there and competing with another person and having fun doing the couch co-op is huge. 
Um, I believe from a, you know, online, you know, in the house multiplayer perspective, um, again, whether it's Call of Duty or you're playing multiplayer civilization on your on your PC, being able to connect with other people is huge. Uh, but one of the things we really push, and you'll get to it within one of the other programs, is just making sure that every once in a while we try to get out of the house and go, you know, do some things out in the fresh air, uh, mainly because I think it's, it's really the balance of all those different activities and relationships that makes a, a positive impact and lowers that suicide number. All right. Speaking of which, uh, let's look at uh, thank you deployments. Tell me about those. And so thank you deployments is uh, VIP experiences for military community members. Uh, that was kind of a, again, a lot of these programs are a direct answer to something else. So if you look at, um, you know, look at Wounded Warrior Project and they do these fantastic, you know, million dollar fishing trips. And, you know, a lot of different organizations do these where, you know, you select a number of different people from all over the country. You know, they fly to the Florida Keys or they fly to, you know, Steamboat, Colorado to ski. Um, they have some great days and then they scatter back into the wind. And again, as, as awesome as that is, we were looking at it again from a sustainability perspective and individual kind of mental health and going, well, they have this great experience with these people and develop relationships and then then it's gone. It's, it's over. And so we really looked at the thank you deployments as a way to um, do a bit of the same, but keep it more regional or more local and really ask the individuals that most of the time are being nominated what they actually want to do. So we even misstepped when we first launched that program um, with a lot of the experiences is, you know, you would get nominated, let's say somebody nominated you, and then you would immediately be slotted into the next thank you deployment, which includes everything from, you know, going through to an E3 or Comic-Con to hunting or fishing to going to, you know, professional sporting events and racing and all these different fantastic opportunities but we started realizing that, number one, not everybody likes all those different, you know, very diverse things. And number <laughs> two, especially with a lot of our, um, you know, recovering or wounded veterans, sending them to a Comic-Con for three days is taxing. I mean, many of them would go and just completely, you know, bust their butt the first day and they'd be spent. I mean, they'd be holed up in the hotel, hotel room for the next, you know, 36, 48 hours because they're just so exhausted. And so we really just kind of reframed the program to A, ask the veteran what they actually wanted to do. And the first time we did that, there was a gentleman that, you know, he'd always wanted to go watch the Green Bay Packers. We used some relationships we had, funny enough, with the Chicago Bears and got him to Chicago to go watch the Bears versus the Packers in some, some fantastic seats and have a great experience there. Uh, and then the other one is with a lot of these other things, again, especially with the conferences or, you know, the cons, the hunting, the fishing, is to keep people relatively at least regional so that, you know, let's imagine a group of uh, 10 men and women go uh, enjoy a Glenn? hunt, you know, and stop. Glenn, yes. I'm sorry to cut you off, but yes. we're running short on time. Just so uh, real quick, tell me, if people want to learn more information, where can they go to find out about your organization? They can go straight to operationsupplydrop.org. Um, that's number one. And number two is look us up on Facebook at We Are OSD. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 